Turn with me to the book of Judges again. We continue in the series of lessons or messages on the life of Gideon. We come to chapter 7 tonight. Look at the subject of Gideon's confidence in the word of man. The confidence of Gideon in the word of man. Judges chapter 7, we stopped last week with verse 8. I'm going to start at verse 7 and read down through verse 15. The Lord said unto Gideon, By the three hundred men that lapped will I save you, and deliver the Midianites into thine hand, and let all the other people go every man unto his place. So the people took victuals in their hands and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man, into his tent, and retained those three hundred men, and the host of Midian was beneath him in the valley. And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Arise, get thee down into the host, for I have delivered it into thine hand. But if thou fear to go down, go thou with Pura, thy servant, unto down to the host, and thou shalt hear what they shall say. And afterwards shall thine hands be strengthened to go down unto the host. Then went he down with Pura, his servant, unto the outside of the armed men that were with him. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the children of the east lay along in the valley like grasshoppers for multitude, and their camels were without number as the sand by the seaside for multitude. And when Gideon was come, behold, there was a man that told a dream unto his fellow, and said, Behold, I dreamed a dream, and lo, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the host of Midian and came into a tent, and smote it that it fell, and overturned it that the tent lay along. And his fellow answered and said, This is nothing else save the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. For unto his hand hath God delivered Midian and all the host. And it was so when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and the interpretation thereof, that he worshipped and returned unto the host of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord hath delivered you into your hand, hath delivered into your hand the host of Midian. Gideon was a man of faith, but he was also a man, as we have seen, that had to continually have his faith propped up by reassurances from the Lord. He's like the man in the New Testament, I believe, but help my unbelief. And God was always condescending to give Gideon a sign. We've seen that the Lord responded to Gideon's weakness when he gave him the sign of fire out of the rock. He also answered his weak faith when he asked the Lord to, when he put out the fleece to make it wet. And it was wet. And he said, we'll make it dry. God made it dry. And our Lord here, after 
going through the selecting of the army and narrowing it down from a large number to 300 men who were willing to put God first and to fight and answer the call of God. After putting that down, Gideon is still a fearful person. For we note that in the text that God said, Now Gideon, go down into the enemy's camp, and there you'll have your strength reaffirmed. If you're fearful and going, and you're wondering yet whether I'm going to be with you, go down into the camp, and you're going to hear something there that's going to strengthen you and reassure you. And so another sign was given unto Gideon. I will always remember Gideon as the person who was always asking for a sign from God, always wanting some sign, Lord, are you with me? Reminds me of the cartoon I saw one time in which there was a fellow that was hanging by a little old twig off of a cliff. He'd obviously fallen down several feet hung in this little old twig that he was hanging on to. It showed how many thousands of feet were beneath him certain death. And he was crying out unto God. And he said, Can anybody up there hear me? And a voice came down from heaven. He said, Yes, I can. He says, Can you help me? And the voice came back from heaven, Yes, trust me and let go. And it showed the expression on the fellow's face. He's thinking for a moment. He looked back up into heaven. He says, Anybody else up there? <laughs> Gideon is sort of a fellow that reminds me of that makeup. God speaks to him time and time again and confirms his doubts and his fears, and yet he continually goes on in this frame of mind. So God said, Gideon, you go down, and I want you to scout out the outskirts of the camp of the Midianites. Now, this was no little small band of army that comprised the Midianites. It says that they lay along the valley like grasshoppers for multitude, and their camels or their beast of burden, which bore their food supplies and military supplies, were as numerous as the sand of the sea. But Gideon took his little group and went down there and began to scout out what was going on. And as he got close, he heard a couple of fellows talking down in the camp of the Midianites. One of them said, say, I had a dream the other night. Well, what did you dream? Well, I dreamed that a cake of bread tumbled down into the midst of our camp and that it smote the whole camp, just a little old loaf of bread, a little barley bread. And this dream's bothering me. And the fellow immediately that was with him gave him the interpretation. Now, this is already God's providence getting ready to scare the daylights out of the Midianites. And incidentally, God can still do that. We sometimes, I think, have a tendency to place too much reliance upon our military powers and less reliance upon God being able to confound our enemies. 
how are we going to handle the Alatola over there, Khomeini? I don't believe it's the point of wisdom to say, well, let's just blast him off the face of the earth, because you've got a lot of angry Arabs to contend with in return. But you know what? God can so confound that group over there, they can turn against one another and in and on themselves and let us live in peace. That can happen. That's what God did right here. God wasn't going to use man for man, Israel, against the Midianites. Obviously, because he's reducing the army of Israel. But he's beginning to cast doubts in the Midianite army about What's going on in this fellow named Gideon? We've been getting some rumors that he is a mighty man of valor and warfare. And so after the fellow told his dream, the other fellow said, Oh, this is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, the man of, in the army of Israel, and into his hand God has delivered the Midianites and all the hosts. Well, the man, Gideon, who was continually doubting what God has said to him is going to come to pass, when he hears the word of a human being, we note in verse 15, when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and the interpretation thereof, he worshipped and returned to the host of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord hath delivered into your hand the host of Midian. Now, our point tonight is, God had given his word to Gideon on numerous occasions. But it wasn't until Gideon heard the word of man that he got any comfort and assurance. And I don't present this message as a commendation to Gideon. But I want to try to work through the thought tonight to show that this is pretty much a specimen of human nature in all of us we have a tendency to place more confidence in what some man of reputation has to say about the Word of God than we do in the Word of God itself. And this is a tendency in human nature. In the time of Christ, the rabbis were the noted authorities for the interpretation of the Bible. And in order to interpret the Bible, why Rabbi so-and-so would quote from a greater rabbi. He would say, now, Rabbi so-and-so said this about it. And if you could get so many quotes from noted men about what a particular verse said, then men would look and say, that's the truth of God now, because Rabbi so-and-so says it. And it's an interesting thing when Jesus came on the scene with his great sermon on the mount. He didn't quote from anybody. None of the leading rabbis. But he spake as a man having authority, and that amazed the people. He didn't depend upon somebody else's statement about what the Bible says. He merely stated the power of the Word of God. Now, today, a large number of people are willing to take the interpretation and the statements of men concerning the Word of God rather than the statements of the Word itself. And if they can only be assured that some higher religious authority believes such and such, then they will believe that portion of the Bible. 
And they want to know more what the Pope or Billy Graham or Oral Roberts or some religious figure says about it. And then when they find out what they say about it, then they say, that's what I believe. <laughs> Rather than taking the authority of the Scripture themselves. Now, this is not to downplay the role of God's gifted men in interpreting the Scriptures. But there is a difference between looking for help and aid in understanding the Scriptures and refusing to really believe the Scriptures until somebody says something about it. We ought to believe this book on its face value it is a thus saith the Lord, regardless of whether anybody else says it or not. This ought to be the criteria for which that we pass our ideas about the Bible. But Gideon had been given the word of the Lord. But he did not act until he heard the word of some human man about what he felt was going to happen. Then Gideon said, come on, the victory's ours. And that is not becoming at all. People look out and they wanted to find out what Professor so-and-so has to say about a portion of Scripture. So they say, that's what I believe. Until somebody else comes along who has a greater reputation than that professor, and he believes something the opposite, and then that disturbs them about that passage of Scripture. It's far rather proper to rely on what the Scriptures have to say themselves than to rely upon what somebody has to say about the Scriptures. Now, it's important that we study the Scriptures, that we seek with all the aids that we have available to us to understand the Scriptures. But with all the human aids that are available to us, that should not be what our confidence is in. It ought to be in the power of the Word of God itself. Let's go over to the book of Joshua. Back a book. The first chapter. And notice when Joshua was about to enter the land, what he exhorted his people to do. This book of the law, verse 8, shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. The book of the law was what Joshua placed before the people. And they were to be in that book day and night. That is, they were, it was to be something that their life was made up of, not just a companion that they looked at once in a while. And it was by studying what was in that book that they would be given prosperous directions and principles which would govern and assist them in the aspects of human living. Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee wherever, whithersoever thou goest. The psalmist, David, declared that he meditated in the Scriptures, in the Word of God, day and night. Psalm 119. Verse 97, 
Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Verse 148. Mine eyes prevent or precede the night watches that I might meditate in thy word. So here is but another aspect that David thought the source of his strength was in the authority of the word of God itself. And he searched what was in that word. But how sad it is that we do so little searching ourselves and we do so much depending upon what religious authorities tell us about the book. Tell us about the book. I profit much from teachers. God has given teachers to the church. Ephesians chapter 4, it is his gift to the church. And yet, the greatest joy I receive is being able to chew up the food firsthand. <laughs> Rather than have somebody else chew it up and get all the nourishment out of it and give it to me to swallow. I'd far rather chew it up myself and find out what it tastes like and get the benefits that I need from the Word of God. When our Lord Jesus Christ was here on earth, he did not send his hearers back to the Talmud, which was the Jewish book of the law that was designed to interpret the Old Testament. It was there what all their lawyers had written case after case of what the, test, the Old Testament meant. Our Lord didn't send them back to that book and say, now you study and you read that book and you'll know the mind of God. Where did he send them to? Search the Scriptures. Search the Scriptures. Look over in John chapter 5, verse 39. John 5 and verse 39. Search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. It's an interesting thing until I started studying works outside of the Bible itself. I didn't even know there was such a thing as a Jewish Talmud. Because you won't find it referred to in the Word of God, in the Bible itself. And our Lord did not say to his hearers, now you have all these opinions of case law recorded in the Talmud. Now if you want to know what a certain scripture means, you go look it up in the Talmud. No, he said, you go to the Scriptures themselves. Search the Scriptures in bringing out that it is important that our confidence be in the Word of God and not just what men have to say about the Word of God. Would you believe the Bible if other religious leaders didn't? Would you continue to follow the teachings of the Bible if some well-known religious figure whom you look up to suddenly arrived on the scene and said, this isn't true? Would you be more persuaded by that man's statement or would you be more persuaded by the teachings of the Bible itself when you read it? Search the Scriptures, our Lord said. I comment here, too. He said, search the Scriptures. Not just read the Scriptures. It is important to read the Scriptures. 
But there's a difference between reading and searching. The word search here means to investigate, to examine thoroughly and in detail. Just like you go on a search and hunt mission. You're going out to investigate. You're going out to deal with matters that you're going to look into into depth. And this is what brings about profitable Bible study. Not just the reading of it, but to search the Scriptures and compare Scripture with Scripture. And then the whole thing begins to start falling together like pieces in a puzzle. Search the Scriptures, investigate them, examine them, and in detail. Our Lord said that when he would go away, he would send forth the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit would teach them and guide them into all truth. And the Holy Spirit did that. He inspired the apostles so that they wrote the New Testament canon of Scripture. And the New Testament apostles interpreted the Old Testament prophets what they had written. And thus the way to understand the Bible is to see how the inspired New Testament apostles interpreted what the Old Testament prophets had written. This is the basic biblical hermeneutic of understanding the Word of God. It's not going to the Bible and trying to fit in your ideas about what's going on here, but see how this Scripture has light upon this Scripture. Search the Scripture to see if these things be so. This is what I believe the Apostle Paul means when he speaks about comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. Go over to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I think this is what it's talking about. 1 Corinthians 2 and uh, verse 12. I think we'll start back up in verse 9. That is, it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the Spirit which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might freely know the things that are given, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. He that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him, that we have the mind of Christ? Now, how I understand basically what the apostle is stating here is that he is saying God has given him as an apostle the ministry of the Holy Spirit to give him understanding of what had been written in the Old Testament Scriptures. So that what is going on here in this comparing spiritual things with spiritual is that one passage of Scripture which has been given to the Apostle to understand 
is enlarged upon that which has been given in the Old Testament. You remember our Lord after his resurrection, when he was on the road to Emmaus, and what he did there in that ministry? It says there he opened their what? Their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures. And this is what is meant by comparing spiritual things with spiritual. It is just not reading the Bible, but it is searching in detail and investigating the Bible so that this portion of the Bible begins to open up this portion here, and in turn this sheds light upon this portion over here. And this is the way that we begin to grow, and our confidence is increased that the Bible is none other than the infallible, inerrant Word of God, and it gives us confidence in that. So we do not have to have the confirmation of a religious leader given to us to assure us the Bible is the Word of God if we will use the principle that is that if contained in the Bible for interpreting it, using this passage to interpret this, and so forth. Psalm chapter 36, verse 9. It's an interesting thing that as you search the Bible and you come across those verses which are difficult to understand, that one portion of Scripture will help throw light upon another portion of Scripture. Psalm chapter 36, verse 9. For with thee is the fountain of life. In thy light shall we see light. Now that's exactly what our Lord did on the road to Emmaus. He opened their understanding. Light in the Bible relates to understanding. We say of something, do you see it? Do you see it? Do you understand it? In the light of God's teaching here, it exposes more light upon what is being said over here. For example, let's go to the book of Isaiah, chapter 9. And if you were just reading along there from the Old Testament perspective, and you didn't know anything about the birth of a little baby named Jesus, here's what you'd suddenly come across. Isaiah, chapter 9, and verse 6. And notice it's just put right in the middle of a statement about the battle of the warrior is with confused noise and garments rolled in blood, but this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. Right in such language as that, then suddenly this passage just burst out in Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a son is born, unto us, whether a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David, upon his kingdom, to order it, to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth ever forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Now, most of us have read that so many times that we just automatically assume that those people when they read that Old Testament scroll of Isaiah back there hundreds of years before Christ, they understood, oh yeah, that means there's going to be a little baby born in Bethlehem of Judea. His name's going to be Jesus, and uh, he's going to do all these wonderful things. That was sort of a strange passage 
to them. Now, how do we have light given to us about what's going on in Isaiah chapter 9? How do we have, have obtained more understanding? Go to the Gospel of Luke chapter 2, and it will give us light upon what's happening in Isaiah chapter 9. It came to pass in those days there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And you know the remainder of the story. Down in verse 7, She brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room in the inn for them. Down in verse 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And on and on and on. And what is being recorded in Luke 2 suddenly just jumps out like a flood lamp on Isaiah chapter 9. So what are we saying? We are comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. And this is how our confidence in the Word of God is confirmed. Not because Rabbi so-and-so or Professor so-and-so or Pastor so-and-so says this about the Bible, but the Bible is its own source of self-confirmation if we will but compare Scripture with Scripture. You want to know what's going on in the book of Leviticus? I've had numerous Christians tell me that they start out reading the Bible and they do real good in Genesis. And it gets a little deeper in Exodus. <laughs> and then when they reach Leviticus... Or they say, I don't know what's going on there. I find that pretty hard to understand. You want to know what's going on in Leviticus? Go to Hebrews chapter 9 and chapters 10, and it will open up the whole understanding of what's going on in the book of Leviticus with the sacrificial system. Spiritual life here focused on the book of Leviticus, and the whole book becomes a revelation from God to sinful people wherein they can make their approach unto him through the appointed means of a tabernacle, of a priest, and of a sacrificial system. And Hebrews opens up that understanding. Why don't we take a verse out of the New Testament, Revelation chapter 19. A lot of things in the book of Revelation, a lot of signs and a lot of symbols. Quite often people will come and say, what do you think about this statement here in the book of Revelation? If it's something that I've been in recently, I'll give some comment on it. Usually I'm hesitant to, to speak. If I cannot recall where there's some other portion of the Word of God to help on that. For I do believe that the interpretation of the book must be interpreted in the light of the rest of the Bible. And in Revelation chapter 19, verse 15, let's look at this statement. Verse 13, Christ is referred to as the Word of God. The armies, verse 14, which were in heaven, followed him upon white horses and clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth went a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he should rule them with a rod of iron. He treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Now, what in the world is this a sharp sword? That's coming out of the mouth of Jesus Christ. I've actually heard 
Bible interpreters and commentators say that when the Lord comes again, he will have a literal sword in his mouth. I've actually heard that. And their principle is the Bible is to be interpreted literally, is to be accepted on its face value, and that everything it says must be understood in the physical realm. So the concept is that when the Lord comes, he'll be riding on a white horse, and he will have a sword gripped in his teeth, and with that sword he will destroy the wicked. And notice that interpretation is based upon figurative language here. But rather than taking that interpretation, we're not left to remain in the dark as to what the sword in the mouth of this person is. Go to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17, and here this light will shine light upon Revelation 19.15. Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the what? The Word of God. Christ's spoken Word is the final authority, and the wicked will be overthrown in their plans and designs to conquer God by the authority of the spoken Word of Jesus Christ. And it's as if there was a sharp sword coming out of his mouth, but the sword is the authority of the Word of God. And so our Lord then will not have to resort to military endeavors to conquer the wicked when he returns. He shall but speak. And just as Lazarus came forth when he spoke, when he says, depart, my friend, just as he spoke there when he was yet here in his earthly body, and those Roman armies came to arrest him, And he merely rose and spoke. The Bible gives us the scene that the whole army fell backward. He didn't have some type of great display of a military weapon that they were suddenly afraid of. There was some power there, Brother Jim, that caused those armies to draw back in fear. And when our Lord Jesus Christ comes and the heavens are split... There will not be men there that would be trying to figure out how they're going to fight him with atomic bombs and, uh, and all kinds of missiles, as I've read in some books on prophecy. I read a book not too long ago in which the fellow went to such an extreme when the Lord comes and the skies are opened and comes riding on a white horse that the wicked, the armies of Antichrist, will try to shoot intercontinental ballistic missiles uh, at him when he comes. No, my friend, just one spoken word, and that will overthrow the wicked, because there's power and authority in that word. So what are we saying? Each portion of Scripture illuminates the other. Scripture carries its own light and its own keys of interpretation. To bring to light, then, some man's statement about what Holy Scripture is saying is like bringing a burning match into a room that's already brilliantly lit. 
we have a well-lighted auditorium. Suppose somebody struck a match and held it up and said, see how bright that match is? See how much brighter it made the room become when I struck my match? Well, we would sort of look at them with a smile on our face, knowing that the room didn't get any brighter. There was already ample light that was there. And my people, again, I am not discouraging and discrediting God's gifts to his church in the form of interpreters of the word of God. But I'm saying don't ever place your faith in what the man says about the book. Place your faith in the book itself. That it is the word of God, whether man says it is or whether it isn't. And then when the trials come, you'll have something that cannot be taken away from you. Go to Acts chapter 17. Here's a favorite passage of mine, which I encourage all of my hearers to copy and to imitate. Acts chapter 17. This is where the founding of the church at Thessalonica took place. Paul, as his manner was, he passed through a couple of regions. He came to Thessalonica in verse 1, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. Now, that was Paul's missionary method. He found a place where religious matters were being discussed, and he'd go in, and for three weeks he would reason with them about what the Scriptures were saying opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. Evidently, Paul believed the Old Testament set forth that Christ suffered, that he was going to suffer, that he was going to rise from the dead. Because he said he reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. didn't have any New Testament at this time. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks a great multitude, and of the chief women not a few. But the Jews which believed not moved with envy and took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort and gathered a company and set all the city on an uproar and assaulted the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren and to the rulers of the city, crying that these have turned the world upside down or come hither also, whom Jason hath received, and these do all contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there's another one king. Jesus, another king, one Jesus. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. And when they had taken security of Jason and of the other, they let them go. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the Scriptures daily whether these things were so. Now, here we have two groups of Jewish believers meeting in the synagogues. And one of them, they listened to what Paul had to say. Some responded, but the others didn't. And so they were run out of that city. And they went into another city at Berea. And here was another group of Jewish individuals that were there. They were not Christian now. 
And Paul went in and he used the same method. He alleged that Jesus Christ was the Messiah and that this Messiah had been foretold in the Old Testament he was to suffer and to rise again from the dead, and that this Messiah which I am preaching is none other than Jesus. What was the response of those people there at Berea? Notice verse 11, they were more noble than those in Thessalonica. That is, they were a higher class people. Why were they classified as being more noble? Not because of their social standing, not because of their riches, not because of their intellect, but because they searched the Scriptures to see if what Paul was saying was in the Scriptures. You want to be a noble person? Search the Scriptures. Investigate the Scriptures. Read the Scriptures. Compare Scripture with Scripture. And God may be pleased to give you light and understanding therein, and you will be finding your faith confirmed in what God is teaching you out of the Word of God, and just not what some man is saying to confirm your faith. Don't wait upon some man's opinion, but take a thus saith the Lord. No matter what somebody may say that may appear to contradict the Bible, no matter what science says that they have discovered, no matter what the judgments of men have to say about the Word of God, Sooner or later, all science and history and all the opinions of men will bow down before the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ, and his word will remain forever and ever and ever. For heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall never pass away. So if you make that a practice, if you get cut off from some source of biblical instruction in your life, Maybe there will come a time in your life when you won't have a pastor. Maybe there will be some place in your life when you won't even have access to any literature that will help you in your study of the Word of God. If you have made it a practice to study it yourself, asking that this Scripture, to give light upon this Scripture, then, my friend, that will be your stay and will help remove the fear when the battles are placed before you. Gideon had the word of God given to him, but he gained much more confidence when he heard some man say, this is what's going to happen. Now, where do you get your confidence from? From what some man says or from what God himself says in the book? I ask you to examine yourself carefully there and make sure that your faith is in the infallible Word of God. Let's stand for prayer. We'll have a closing hymn in just a moment. Father, we pray that you'd bless your Word to our understanding. We pray for light, that we might see light. We pray that you illuminate our minds, that we might see the wisdom that you have recorded in the pages of your Word we might be able to learn principles and lessons of daily living that are recorded in your word, that it might not be viewed as just a dry book of dust, but it might be viewed as the living word of God in which that we cannot live without. Encourage us and strengthen us 
give all of us in our various degrees of understanding more understanding of the word as we search it to see whether these things be so or not. And when we come across some new slant, some new understanding before us, help us not just to receive it or to reject it because of who is giving it to us, but give us that noble spirit of the Bereans to search their scriptures to see what they're hearing is truly found in the word of God. And we'll be careful to praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.